coming up on Stu Does America. How can conservatives win in the end? Glenn Beck is here with answers and a new special to find the path forward. And conservators unite. We have a brand new edition of Relative versus Absolute Risk Enforcement Action Squad for you. I mean, this is the sort of content you don't get anywhere else. If you're watching on YouTube, click the like button right now. I'll wait. Well, I'm not going to wait that long. Just do it before you forget or I say something that pisses you off. Subscribe to the podcast and rate and review the show. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. And get 30 bucks off your Blaze TV membership with the promo code STU. All the links are up at stewdoesamerica.com. The presidential election already feels eternal at this point, but why not add some absolutely crucial Senate runoffs to keep things interesting? Let's do Georgia. Stu does America. So Georgia is still too close to call in the presidential race. Georgia will conduct a statewide recount of ballots cast in the election between President Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said Wednesday. Brad Raffensperger uh, is a name you might not know, uh, but I've heard it recently because he was the Republican who was asked to resign by both Republican Senate candidates. He's a Republican. He's asked to resign by both Republican Senate candidates. It's good to make powerful friends right before your runoff. There are two runoffs in the state of Georgia, and they will decide control of the Senate. We have our first polls on those races in. And before you say, oh, those polls, they really suck. Remember, they did do really well in Georgia. So maybe they only know how to poll Georgia. I don't know. Here are the results. This is from a Republican-leaning polling firm. David Perdue at 50% and John Ossoff at 46%. And in the special election, Kelly Leffler, 49%. Raphael Warnock, 48%. So both Republicans winning in very close margins so far. Republicans must win at least one of these to hold on to the Senate. And they should probably win two because Lisa Murkowski. More on that in a second. Before we get into the runoffs, let's look at the election night uh, and how that turned out in the Senate races in Georgia. The special election had like a bunch of candidates in it. We all knew the special election would go into a runoff because approximately 75% of all citizens of Georgia were on the ballot. Here's how it finished up. Warnock at 32.9%, Kelly Leffler, 25.9%, Doug Collins at 19.95%, and Deborah Jackson, the Democrat, at 6.6%. Now, everyone knew Warnock would likely get to the runoff as the top Democrat. The real battle there was between Kelly Leffler and Trump's favored candidate, Doug Collins. Leffler wound up pulling that one off. Over in the regularly scheduled race, David Perdue came really close to avoiding a runoff with 49.7%, while John Ossoff had 48%. It's easy to get overconfident when you look at this one and say, well, Perdue had 49.7%. He only needs 0.3% of all the rest of the voters, and he'll win that seat. Now, that's not how it always happens in runoffs. They're weird. They're quirky kind of things. I mean, lots of unexpected stuff happens. Sometimes voters change their minds. Sometimes they don't show up. Sometimes uh, they show up even when they're not supposed to. That's what happened in 2014 to Chris McDaniel of Mississippi. He's a big Tea Party guy uh, running against Thad Cochran, who was going for his seventh term in the Senate One interesting part of that race is that Thad Cochran had really clearly lost it by this point. A lot of the advertising and conversation about the race 
was a little, it, it would give you a little bit of uh, familiarity, uh, similar to what you've seen recently with Joe Biden in the last uh, few months. It was basically a senility now campaign. Plus, Cochran was basically the swamp personified by, uh, you know, all of the actions he had gone through his entire career. I mean, he basically was a cartoon character at this point. Uh, he is way past his prime and super duper swampy. McDaniel, McDaniel ran a good race uh, and he actually kind of surprised everyone in 2014. Uh, he was able to get 49.5 percent of the vote and Thad Cochran got 49 percent. So. He, he beat Cochran by half a point, and he almost got to 50%, but he couldn't quite do it. Now, you might think all he had to do was get another half point in the runoff, right? But Cochran took millions and millions of dollars in shady money and used it to run ads targeting black Democrats, encouraging them to vote in the Republican primary. He smeared McDaniel as a racist, and it worked. In 2014, uh, the Republican primary runoff race, it was Thad Cochran at 51%, and Chris McDaniel 49%. Cochran won the runoff by two points. And by the way, if you're wondering how that whole senile thing worked out, take a look at this political article from a couple years into that next Cochran term. The 79-year-old Cochran appeared frail and at times disoriented during a brief hallway interview on Wednesday. He was unable to answer whether he would remain chairman of the Appropriations Committee and at one point needed a staffer to remind him where the Senate chamber is located. And this was his seventh term. Cochran had to be guided by staffers around a security checkpoint inside the Capitol. He started to walk into a first floor room, though the Senate chamber is on the second floor. He was then ushered up by an aide uh, up to the Senate. When another reporter asked whether leadership had pressured Cochran to return for a vote on the budget resolution, a key moment in the tax reform debate, Cochran smiled and responded, it's a beautiful day outside. On one amendment, Cochran voted yes, despite being told by an aide to vote no. The staffer tried to get the senator to switch his vote, but Cochran kept flashing the thumbs up sign, even walking over to the clerk, tallying the vote and doing so. GOP floor staffers repeatedly told him the leadership wanted a no vote. Several more moments passed before Cochran realized he was voting the wrong way, and then he changed his vote. Seems like that went well. He retired the next year and, of course, passed away, sadly, in 2019. By the way, he was 79 years old during that 2014 election. Interesting fun fact, that is the same age Joe Biden will be if he's inaugurated president in January. Lots of similarities there. That election was in Mississippi, but there have been plenty of runoffs in Georgia that have changed in outcome. Uh, 1992, Democratic Senator uh, Weish Fowler fell just short of 50% in his re-election campaign against GOP nominee Paul Coverdell. Uh, 1992, uh, let's see, in, in the Senate race initially, Fowler won by 1.8%. But in the runoff, Coverdell won by 1.4%. Reverse the total. 2006, Democrat David Burgess faced Republican Chuck Eaton. Uh, and again, uh, in the election, Burgess won by 2.5%. In the runoff, Eaton won. By 3.6%. In 2008, another runoff for a seat on the highly touted and uh, almost too sexy Public Service Commission between Democrat Jim Powell and Republican Bubba McDonald. Here's the results. In the election, Powell won by 0.7%, but in the runoff, McDonald won by 14%. 
And then there's another runoff you might be familiar with. Secretary of State race 2018 between Republican Brad Raffensperger. There's that name again. I love it. And he faced off against Democrat John Barrow. Now, in this one, Raffensperger won the initial race by 0.4%. And then Raffensperger won again with three point, by 3.8%. So he held that one. If you're an optimist and you maybe want more conservative government, you'll note that while there were changes in a lot of those races, it was usually the Republicans who gained votes in the runoffs. And that's true, typically. Smaller electorate, less turnout. It favors dedicated voters, which Republicans have, as opposed to occasional voters and illegal immigrants and dead people like Democrats have. But those races are mostly from a time where Georgia was bright red. Now it's purple. And these races are going to be really close. They're expecting about $200 million to be spent in this runoff. And I bet it's even higher than that, honestly, if it remains competitive. Now, unless something changes uh, the outcome with the president's legal challenges and all that as that's going on, and we're working from that world, kind of, we're, we're working from the world that this stuff doesn't work out because I always like looking for the worst case scenario. The Republicans need one of these to turn their way. But it would be really, 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 really super duper duper helpful to get both of those seats. Why? Lisa Murkowski. She counts, you know, barely as one of the 51 Republican senators. But her state of Alaska is currently voting on ballot measure two. If it succeeds, it would change the state rules to an open primary. So instead of having a Republican and Democratic primary for the Senate, you'd have one big primary where the top four candidates advance to the election and then ranked choice voting would be applied. It's a one of a kind system if it passes. But while it's kind of interesting in some ways, pragmatically right now at this moment, it would free Lisa Murkowski from ever having to please a conservative Republican primary voter ever again. She would be freed and incentivized, actually, to run into the middle instead of the right. And she would face no punishment for siding with the left. In other words, she would flake even more than normal. Here's how that vote looks like in Alaska right now. It's being rejected by only five points, 52 to 47, or if you want to round 52 to 48, with about a quarter of the vote remaining, as it makes its way, you know, all the votes have to come on dog sleds and coyotes shooting helicopters. That's how they're transferred uh, to be counted. The late vote is trending Democrat, as it usually does, and as you kind of expect. So this is going to tighten, and the, they might get this open primary system in Alaska. The bottom line is this is a race that no one is paying attention to, but could make a huge difference in the years to come. So what happens next? First, the recounts and the legal wrangling will continue. On December 14th, the electors will come back together to actually pick a president. After that, we'll all go celebrate Christmas and New Year's and Kwanzaa. Of course, Kwanzaa. Assuming, of course, the country is still standing and we're not all dead of coronavirus. Then we come back to work on Monday, January 4th. And the very next day will be the most important election day outside of a November that anyone can remember. Democrats will pull out every trick to win this thing. They will spend any amount of money. They'll even make Andrew Yang move to Georgia. Mm. And if we have any luck at all, they will fail, along with Andrew Yang, miserably. Trigger alert, trigger warning. I'm about to talk about guns. Black rifle, 
Mm -hmm. Black rifles. They're scary guns. They're shiny guns. They shoot bullets out of them. Luckily, though, they also sell coffee. Black Rifle Coffee Company uh, is a great coffee company. They've donated over 45,000 pounds of coffee to soldiers deployed overseas, law enforcement officers, firefighters on the West Coast, and medical workers on the front line just in 2020 alone. And it's not like they're just throwing out some, some you know, any run-of-the-mill coffee. We're talking about the best coffee you can get, the best beans from around the world roasted here in America. For every coffee purchase that you make throughout the month of November, Black Rifle Coffee will send a bag of their limited edition holiday roast to a service member currently deployed overseas to be delivered by Christmas morning. Sometimes when I hear these promotions where it's like, they're like, hey, we're going to help out the troops. I think to myself, I don't, are they just doing that because it makes people feel good? I can tell you this, with Black Rifle Coffee, that is not what they're doing. They're not doing this for promotional, you know, like, oh, I want, I want nice attention on our, on our company. These are guys who are from the military. They're, they're veterans themselves. They know what a nice cup of coffee uh, means in the middle of uh, serving uh, our nation. And they're able to provide this, and they're doing a great job, and you can help too. You can help support the cause. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash stew today to learn more. Visiting blackriflecoffee.com slash stew gets you 20% off all the coffee, apparel, and gear, as well as 20% off your first month of their coffee club, which is the way we get Black Rifle Coffee sent to our house. Uh, It's the way you should do it too. Reliable, shows up whenever you need it. It's blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Joining me now, Glenn Beck. His newest special airs immediately after this program, 9 p.m. Eastern. It is how conservatives can win in the end. Glenn, thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Better time slot. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Um, (laughs) Let me ask you about another one of your time slots. Yes. The radio show today. Uh-huh. It was interesting. I didn't, well, how so, Stu? <laughs> well, I noticed um, you, the mode of the show changed. We kind of went in a bunch of directions that I don't think we expected to go in at the beginning. No. And you started talking one-on-one directly to the people in the audience who are, I think, frustrated, disappointed, angry, um, in no, disbelief. Was, yeah. And a lot of us are, are there. Yeah, I, I'm there. Um, and we never talked about it until today. And perhaps we should have. I've been just trying to hold it together and not uh, and not get lost in the emotion of it. Right. Um, and uh, that's not where the listeners were, because we had a couple of calls from listeners who were like, you guys are scaring the hell out of us. You know, why? why? And, and it was really strange because. What they were saying was, why aren't you supporting the president? And we are. I mean, I am saying the president needs to have his attorneys look into all of these claims. And that's what we're doing today is the, the charges that were filed or the, um, the court case that was filed today, 250 some pages. We're going through it with a fine tooth comb so we can know what's real, what's not. But it is really not a political thing anymore. It's a legal thing. And that's the case that needs to be made. And we're just waiting for that. And I think people misinterpreted that uh, as you're not supporting him. Well, I am. But it doesn't mean I'm going to tweet and tell you about things that I'm not sure are real or not. 
Yeah. I mean, first of all, if you're listening to the radio show and not expecting you to scare the hell out of everyone, I don't know. I don't know what show you're listening (laughs) to. Uh, But like it is interesting to see that because I think there's a there's an emotional thing going on where people are. I mean, look, they're scared for the future of their country. It's an understandable uh, motivation. The only guy that ever told them they feel the truth. I feel the truth about what he was going to do. And the only guy in my lifetime, I think Reagan connected with everybody. But um, but Trump was going after, you know, 70 million Americans. He he was their voice. And to have him lose, people feel devastatingly alone. So set the record straight here. You are not saying the president should stop challenging these votes Not at all. You're not saying that he has no chance of winning. You're not saying that there's no point in getting all these votes counted. What are you saying? I'm saying every legal vote should count. And I don't know what's true and what's not on the Internet. And we spend way too much time and we've already done a lot of it. Spending way too much time trying to get down to original sources, you know, uh, original people. What is this? Where is did this argument come from? Let's just wait for the Trump administration who will will we will know what's real and not, because if they file fake affidavits, they lose their license and go to jail. Right. Okay. so why argue about this affidavit or that affidavit? Let's see what's filed once it's filed. Now we can talk about it. Yeah, that's the one thing that that kind of gives you a little bit of uh, solace in this and that. There is an interested party with incentives to oh, yeah. go after every one of these things that has an unlimited, basically, amount of resources. Yeah, and you want to. I don't think that's true. I don't think they have an unlimited. Well, the candidate's a billionaire. They got plenty of cash yeah, to go after yeah. these cases but, if they really need to. If, 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 right. Trump, if Trump looks at this and says, look, this one is real. This one we have to fight with everything. I need 100 extra attorneys. He can pull that trigger if he really believes yes. it. Yes. And, and that, not that he should be responsible for paying for everything, but the resources are, are there if need be. Yeah. And I think if he would just ask people, they would step to the plate. Yeah. Now, speaking of that, <laughs> I mean, this is what is fascinating about this. And I, look, I understand. I think there's a there's a different relationship we have with our audience than maybe other conservative shows. And I can't speak for every conservative show, but many people I've seen on, on who are YouTube stars or, um, you know, uh, you know, on Twitter and all these things, they're they're projecting, I think, more confidence than maybe some of them even believe that Donald Trump's going to be able to overturn this. It's Listen to anyone who's talking about this seriously. It's a difficult road to try to overturn an election. Uh, the president has to find really good evidence and move along with that. Um, and people kind of take, I think, our, uh, our efforts to, to communicate that fact as some lack of support here for the effort to get to every legal vote counts. I find it particularly ridiculous when it comes to you because... Before the election, you made a, a massive donation to the Trump Legal Defense Fund to fight these battles after the election went on. This is something you're not only mentally and emotionally invested in, you are financially invested in this effort. Yeah, because I, I Why knew... Why did you do that, by the way? Because I knew what was coming. I knew this election would be close. And I knew they would do everything they could to make sure that the election was swinging towards Biden in whatever 
by hook or by crook, they would do that. I know that to be true. Now, I don't know if they accomplished it or we can prove it, but I want to make sure that the president has the best attorneys to be able to do that. I love Rudy Giuliani. I'm a fan of Rudy Giuliani. But Rudy Giuliani is not the guy I want out in front of the Supreme Court making the case on Donald Trump the way he's been in front of television cameras. He's That's more, yeah. political. Right. Okay? I, want, I want the best attorneys in the country making this case. So, you know, anybody who says, you know, you guys are just throwing in the towel. No, I threw in a big chunk of change to make sure that he has good attorneys. And what they find is what they find. This is not going to be one on the streets. It's not going to be one on social media. It's not going to be one on television. It's going to be one by attorneys saying, got something right here. And it may not be. Fraud. They may. I'm sure they're going to find fraud. I don't know if they're going to find massive coordinated fraud, but they will find fraud. But I think they also have a really good shot of saying the legislatures changed the rules. The legislature kept changing the rules. I'm sorry, the the um, the governor and the the election officials, Mm -hmm. they changed the rules or the courts changed the rules. By the by constitutional uh, writ, it can only be the legislature. So any rules that were changed and these are things that Trump was fighting beforehand. This is not some new thing. This is he was saying you can't do that. And constitutionally, you can't. So where is that win? What does that mean? I don't know. But there's no one more motivated than Donald Trump to find those things. What about the the, the uh, uh, criticism from the left who are saying, you know, back in 2000, uh, conservatives were saying, oh, well, you, you know, Gore is ripping up the country by fighting these things. He's tearing up the country. He's dividing the nation. Why won't he just because why won't he just give in? Here's the di- you and I were in Florida mm-hmm. yes. during that election. Mm-hmm. So I remember it vividly. <laughs> The problem with Al Gore was he was saying, I want to count this county and this county, not a full state recount. Okay, he was cherry picking the counties where he would pick up votes and not picking the counties where Bush might have picked up votes. You can't do that. Um, He was uh, he was making cases that, quite honestly, If Donald Trump said, no, I only want to recount, uh, you know, the Hershey, Pennsylvania area. No. And you don't want to recount Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. Why? Wherever the problems are, wherever the problems are, correct. You you correct them. Um, And if it has to be and I think they're going to go for this in 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 Pennsylvania, go for a full state recount. And they probably should go for a full state recount. I'd like to see what's there. And if there is fraud, if there is uh, monkey business, those people need to pay a heavy price for that. Mm. A heavy pr- and I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat. Everyone who was involved in any kind of election fraud, if there was, they should go to, to jail for that. Heavy price. This is so important, not just because I don't want Joe Biden in office. But because if we don't believe the system that we have, if we don't believe it's fair, we we have nothing. We have nothing left of our republic because then we're a banana republic. 
then we just believe, oh, the whole system is corrupt. We ha- we've known that there is voter fraud, but never enough voter fraud to overturn an election. The only time we've ever felt that was 1960. And it was so rare at that time that Nixon just said, just leave it alone. We should point out that the left has said that about every election in my adult life. So they see it all the time. Yeah. And they just deny it. when Don't lecture me about not accepting the uh, the will of the people. Don't lecture me about that. Really? (laughs) Hillary Clinton, Al Gore. uh, What's her name from Georgia? Uh, The one who still says she's Oh, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. Mm -hmm. I mean, good. (laughs) Shut up. It's so agonizing. Shut the pie So obviously, like you go into this and you want Trump to win the election um, and you want this to go the right way for the republic. But as we I think we would all agree and the audience would agree, too, that like it's bigger than one man. The United States of America is bigger than any any one person. And so you look at this race as it's kind of come down here. Why is it important for us to make sure Beyond the fact of who's going to win or lose, because let's say you go through all these recounts. Let's say you go all through all this fraud. It doesn't come out to anything. At the end of the day, we find out that Joe Biden won fair and square somehow. Why is it so important for us, if that might be the outcome, to make sure we track down any one of these votes anyway? Uh, Well, first of all, let's connect emotionally. Donald Trump, for 70 million of us, feels like the only one that was really fighting He was the only one that was really standing up against corruption. And you know that because of what they did to him the whole time. And so it ends in an anti-American fairy tale. The good guy doesn't win in the end. Uh, For 70 million people, the good guy... If this turns out this way. Right. It it doesn't work out. Even if there was no fraud, it's a very hard story to swallow because it looks like the bad guys are getting away with it. Right. Okay. Um, So emotionally, it's important to be able to have some happy ending. You know, there's no happy ending here because I don't believe Bill Barr is going to do jack squat. And I think all these people that were involved in all the fraud from the last four years, I think they're going to walk away with it. And that is a crime. We can't add to that doubt We can't add to doubt, doubt of our electoral process. We don't believe in anything anymore. We have to believe in something. Megyn Kelly said something to me the other day that uh, it's coming up on the podcast, and I thought was really, really brilliant. I said, so how do we come together? And she said, the fight should not be for unity. The fight should be for liberty. And she's right. We we can't unite on anything because we don't agree on liberty. Mm -hmm. We th- half of us think that the state should be so powerful they can tell you to stay in your house and cripple your business and tell you you've got to take this, you know, uh, shot for pandemic and you're going to live your life this way and you can't go over to your grandma's house for Christmas or Thanksgiving. And the other half says bullcrap. Liberty. We can't unite unless we're on liberty. And as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, um, there's two things that we have to do right now. Georgia. We must Mm -hmm. pay attention to Georgia. If the Senate is lost in Georgia, if those guys, at least one of them doesn't win as a Republican, we're toast. We're toast. And I'd like two of them because I'm not convinced that all the Republicans will walk the line. I don't want to have a razor thin one 
Right. No. And, and when one of them is Lisa Murkowski, who, who we yeah. have a ballot measure in Alaska, means she might not even have to really run as a Republican yeah. anymore if that passes. Right. So there's there's a lot of risk right. going on there. And the other thing is, is we have to educate ourselves. And, you know, Stu, I have been working for the last couple of years on trying to get the museum up so we could um, uh, educate people and yeah. invite people to see real history. We don't have time for the full museum, but we're going to do virtual online classes. And we're going to be talking about that tonight. And I want your fa- My family is taking it. My kids and my wife, we're taking it together on the first run um, because uh, I think it's important. Even my kids, you know, who can tell you about George Washington and all the crap that I blabber about all the time to them. <laughs> I don't think they get it yet. Mm. And this class, we have t- tested it for about three years now. This class is good. And it's three nights and it will open your eyes and show you what we really are, who we really are, what we believe, and how we fix our country. Yeah, I can tell you, as you know, so I didn't know, any, I knew it was kind of generally happening, but it hadn't been over there at all. The amount of progress that's been made to, on this project is amazing. Yeah, it and is. And there's a lot going on. You know, people, I'm sure, want to be involved in that, and I'm sure you're going to talk about it on tonight's show, but is there a place they can go to kind of get... Uh, yeah, mercuryone.org. Okay. Yeah, and, and it'll the details there. The details there, or uh, I think I, I'm not sure if this is still up, but M1 Next Chapter, uh, I think .com also may still be up. Okay, Glenn Beck, where can people find you, Glenn? Is there a place that people could connect with you? Um, the Blaze, GlennBeck.com, uh, radio, our newsletter. You can stop by the house. I'm usually there after <laughs> don't, five. Don't start recommending that. That's not a good <laughs> idea. Uh, Glenn, uh, the new special is How Conservatives Can Win in the End. It's 9 p.m. Eastern right after this program uh, or wherever you watch Blaze TV. And you can get a subscription to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew. And I think you're saving 30 bucks still uh, for a limited time. So check that out, Glenn. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Back in a second. Absolute risk enforcement action squad comes for you. Relative versus Absolute Risk Enforcement Action Squad is filmed on location with the men and women of Relative versus Absolute Risk Enforcement. All suspects are assumed guilty and will be tortured beyond the fullest extent of the law. <laughs> yes, it's time for the Relative versus Absolute Risk Enforcement action squad segment of the day and look this is one of the most important things we do on this show in fact it's the only important thing that we do on this program is tell you about when the media annoyingly tries to scare you by showing you the uh, relative risk instead of the absolute risk that might not seem important to you but let me try to sell you on this today's example comes from the new york times And they are trying to scare you by saying that 70 percent, there's a 70 percent increase for pregnant women who have coronavirus uh, as far as their risk of death goes. U.S. health officials have added pregnancy to the list of conditions that put people with COVID-19 at increased risk of developing a severe illness, including a heightened risk of death. Now, we all know, if you remember the debate about Obamacare, pregnancy 
is a pre-existing condition. I think it is a condition, by the way. It's a, it's a horror show, honestly. I mean, it's, I don't know exactly how all that stuff works, but I'm pretty sure at some point, like the alien head just kind of comes out of the stomach. I don't know. I haven't really looked into it all that much, but I will say that it, it, the whole thing is very scary to me as a man. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know what happens. I'm terrified. Okay, so um, while most pregnant women infected with the coronavirus do not uh, or have not become severely ill, the new caution is based on a large study that looked at tens of thousands of pregnant women who had COVID-19 symptoms. Study found that they were significantly more likely to require intensive care, to be connected to a specialized heart-lung bypass machine, and to require mechanical ventilation than non-pregnant women of the same age. Most importantly, the pregnant women faced a 70% increase risk of death when compared to non-pregnant women who were symptomatic. The study for Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, the largest uh, such study so far, examined the outcomes of 409,462 symptomatic women ages 15 to 44 who tested positive for COVID, 24,434 of whom were pregnant. Now, while I, I, um, uh, I, I may look pregnant, a little rounder than I should be, uh, I've never been pregnant, but I am a COVID-19 survivor. Had the vid myself, okay? Uh, this, this, I've been able to power through the whole situation here and I'm a, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor, everybody. And I'm in, I would be interested in such information like this. Um, however, I just can't take the way the media does this. A 70% increase, uh, for death rates for pregnant women. Well, what does that mean? First of all, they give you this little nugget about three quarters of the way through the study. An earlier study did not find a higher risk of death among pregnant COVID patients. So right off the bat, like that seems like something that's important, right? Maybe, maybe that old study was wrong. But the fact is, we already have information that disagrees with this scary headline, right? There's already a study done where this didn't show up. But maybe this is a better study or whatever, a larger sample size, very large sample size. So maybe, just maybe, that's the difference. But if you keep reading, you get to the, the reason why we had to call in the relative versus absolute risk enforcement action squad people that are here to serve our community every single day. The pregnant patients in this new study were 1.7 times as likely uh, to die than non-pregnant patients. That's where they're getting the 70% from. 1.7 times would be 70% increase. However, that amounted, this is a quote, that amounted to a death rate of 1.5 per 1,000 cases among the symptomatic pregnant women compared with 1.2 per 1,000 cases of symptomatic women who were not pregnant. Okay? So if you were, if you were, uh, if you were uh, symptomatic and pregnant, 1.5 of 1,000 died. If you were not pregnant, 1.2 of 1,000 died. First of all, that's not even 70% increase when it comes to relative risk. It's not even a 70% increase there. However, let's look at what it actually is when we talk about absolute risk. If you are not pregnant, you have a 0.12% chance of dying in this situation. If you are pregnant, you have a 0.15% chance of dying. Okay? That is a 0.03% increase in absolute risk. Now, I'm not saying that's nothing. And we may find out in other studies that it's that big or bigger. But you don't write a headline 
You don't write a story about the difference between a 0.12% chance of death and a 0.15% chance of death. It's just not interesting. It's not interesting, and it's also not a 70% increase in absolute uh, risk or relative risk. This is what these publications do all the time. They just try to scare you because the relative risk number is so much larger. But the absolute risk number, you should not, basically, you should look at yourself. If you're pregnant right now and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know, do I want to get coronavirus? I would say don't do it. Okay. If you're not pregnant right now and you're saying, I don't know, should I get coronavirus? I would say don't do it. You shouldn't get it if you can help it. But if you are pregnant and you get coronavirus, you should not be terrified by a New York Times headline telling you that there's a 70% increase in your chance of death. It's a very, very, very tiny factor and a very tiny piece of that. And that's why the New York Times got a visit from the relative versus absolute risk enforcement action squad. Bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when the relative versus absolute risk enforcement action squad comes for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when the relative versus absolute risk enforcement action squad comes for you? Relative versus Absolute Risk Enforcement Action Squad is filmed on location with the men and women of Relative versus Absolute Risk Enforcement. All suspects are assumed guilty and will be tortured beyond the fullest extent of the law. It's going to be in your head all day. Did you know that the average American has 97 points they can add to their credit score and have no idea how to get them? It's true. ScoreMaster is the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. And they do that uh, through sort of reverse engineering the algorithms of these credit uh, credit agencies. So they go through it and they say, all right, well, you know, everyone knows the basics, right? You know, pay your bills on time or pay a certain percentage or what. Some of it's like really deep inside that algorithm. ScoreMaster's figured all that stuff out. So they can get you to raise your credit score about 61 points in 20 days or less. That's the average. Say your credit score was in the high 500s to mid 600s when you bought a new car. If you go to ScoreMaster first, you can raise your credit score just the average 61 points uh, that our listeners get. You could have saved nine grand on the car loan. If you've gone to ScoreMaster before applying for a home loan and raise your score just the average 61 points that our listeners get, you could have saved almost $100,000 over the life of your loan. Why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you save money? ScoreMaster puts you in control of your finances, not the banks, and you can enroll in minutes and see how many plus points ScoreMaster can add to your credit score. Visit scoremaster.com slash stew. The slash stew part of the address is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. scoremaster.com slash stew. Thank God, science is back, baby. And the earth is round, not flat. Washing your hands does work. Social distancing does matter. And wearing a face covering (laughs) does help protect all of us. Does it? 
I do love science. Oh, she loves science. She, well, she looks like a doctor, so that's good. Science is back from the Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, campaign. I will say there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of people out there who don't like masks, but a lot of people would recommend Lori Lightfoot wears one. You know, she looks like a Muppet, doesn't she? She's one of the legitimately strangest looking people I've ever seen in my entire life. She looks like she comes right out of the movie Time Bandits uh, or like the never ending story. I, I, <laughs> I just feel like she'd just be a character in that movie. She's probably very nice, though. And now she's insulting uh, everybody and saying that they didn't believe in science yet again. So there you go. Uh, in case you wanted to know how to spend your Thanksgiving uh, week in a couple weeks. Now, you know, listen to Lori. The earth is round or something. Um, Andrew Cuomo is on this uh, kick as well. He is, uh, you know, it's interesting. I swear to you, and we need to do this, remind me to do this tomorrow. Andrew Cuomo's book started the increase of coronavirus in New York. That is my assertion, and I'm standing by it. As soon as he came out with this stupid book, New York has had terrible results, and now it's so bad, uh, it's increasing. Uh, all the cases are increasing in New York. The, the deaths have started to rise now, too. Uh, and now and, uh, Andrew Cuomo is going to uh, close down uh, bars and gyms at 10 p.m. and stop all gatherings of 10 or more a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. And that's going to be nice and easy. Um, by the way, when I was reading about it, this Andrew Cuomo story, I, I came across this picture. Is this picture real? I mean, I want to know, is this real? It's a picture of a couple of girls in their car, and then across is Andrew Cuomo. Look, zoom in on that. Can you see him? Zoom in on Andrew Cuomo. Look at this. That's Andrew Cuomo in his Camaro or something, giving his best RU18 face uh, to these girls. It's pretty creepy, if you ask me, but everything Andrew Cuomo does is creepy. That's why we all know Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. I was thinking about going to, I don't know, fast food restaurant maybe later on today. I think when I go there, I'll, play with, I'll pay with gold because that's the kind of guy I am. Got a glint card right here. That means I can pay with gold anywhere. Just anywhere I'll take a MasterCard. You can pay with real gold. If you're the type of person who says, ah, you know, I'd like to invest in some gold, maybe diversify my portfolio a little bit, but I might need to spend that money. And what am I going to do if it's in gold? Glint has solved that problem. The, you actually are buying real physical gold that's kept in Switzerland, and it can increase in value uh, as, as gold increases in value. And then you can spend your money and can get the gold and spend it at any convenience store, any, any place that sells you know, milkshakes or hamburgers or whatever you want. You give them this normal MasterCard, but you're actually spending real gold. You're putting yourself on your personal gold standard. Don't have to worry about inflation and all that other stuff. Gold being spent at a grocery store, you can do it now with Glint Pay. This is brand new. GlintPay.com slash two. G-L-I-N-T-P-A-Y dot com slash two. The slash two part is important, of course, because that's how they know you like this stupid show. GlintPay.com slash two. Check it out now. Go on your own personal gold standard. Make sure you go to iTunes and rate the show. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This comes in. Love the show. Great analysis of current topics and humorous delivery. That's a great point. Actually, great observation. Five freaking stars. I really like the background on the set. It's so easy to look at after such a hard election. Whatever. Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. By the way, can we get that uh, Andrew Cuomo picture up one more time? Do we have that available? There it is. Uh, <laughs> so, um, see, so there he's talking to a couple of teenagers and hitting on them or something. But can you zoom in a little bit? 
Can you zoom in a little bit? Look at this. Now, I would like to say Mr. Mask over there doesn't have his mask on, but I don't know when this photo was taken. I will say it was probably taken when there were seatbelt laws and he does not appear to be wearing a seatbelt. And even if he is and it was photoshopped out, I don't have time to check it. So sorry, Andrew Cuomo was awful.com.